So uh, I'll pray in a second, but this is this is the first class of our uh, Christian growth study on the ordinary means uh, that we are uh, the ordinary means of grace that we are kind of launching off into uh, for the summer. So this class is kind of a general overview of what kind of that means, what the ordinary means of grace mean. And then the rest of the series is going to be kind of diving into the, the specific ordinary means of grace uh, that I'll just briefly touch on uh, this morning. And we've got a handful of teachers. We've got Sheldon and Damien and Jeremy Moretz and Danny. He's not here. I saw him out in the hall. Uh, who else? Um, John. John Pouliot. Who am I missing? That, whenever you start listing off names, it's always dangerous because you're bound to forget someone. It's a nine-week series, and there's eight teachers, including yeah. myself, so look at me. Dave. Oh, Nick and Dave. That's right. Yeah. No. Thanks, Sheldon. They don't matter. They don't matter. <laughs> the, uh, the comments back and forth kind of cancel each other out. Right? Okay, well, let me pray, and, and we'll, get, uh, we'll dive into our study. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We just thank you for your church, that we can come together and uh, worship you. We can come together. Uh, and encourage one another. I pray that you would just strengthen us in that task uh, to, as we do strive to encourage one another in, in love and good works. Father, uh, I pray for this class that you would just help us to, uh, as we dive into the specific ways that you have given us uh, for uh, growth in, in your grace, uh, that you would just help us have a new appreciation uh, for uh, your word and prayer for uh, baptism and communion, church discipline, and, and just the really the church in general. Father, just strengthen us for this task ahead. Again, uh, open our eyes, soften our hearts to receive your word. Help us to receive it joyfully. Help us to uh, have wisdom and understanding as we look to your word. Uh, and, and help us to uh, receive it with belief and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, the title of the class is Christian Growth. Subtitle kind of gets us a little more uh, close to home for the study itself. The Ordinary Means of Grace. But um, first, before, before I dig into some passages, what's, what's the first things that come to mind when you think about Christian growth? And be... Yeah, it can be negative comments, positive comments, whatever. Whatever maybe you uh, maybe heard in the past, kind of currently, cur currently think of it. Christian growth. <coughs> These are the easy questions where no, no answer is wrong. Sanctification. Sanctification. Disciplines. What do you What do you think of when you use the word disciplines? Um, daily devotions, uh, Bible reading, memorization. Good. Okay. Well, let me read a few passages for us just to encourage us in this idea of Christian growth and, and specifically kind of, uh, growth and grace. Second Peter, I'm going to start at the very end and then, and then go back to the beginning. But Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, Peter writes, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So he says, grow. He says, instead of turning to the being carried away by the error of lawless men, he says, my desire for you is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You think the word, the word grace there signifies to grow, to grow in grace. Grow in grace. What verse were we on? Uh, three, Second Peter three seventeen and eighteen. Well, if grace is a gift. Then, if you grow in it, you increase your understanding that it's all about him and not about you. Yeah. Bringing about this growing, it's just a greater understanding of what grace truly is and how that affects my life. Amen. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, we can easily get caught up in, in the trap of, you know, thinking that the Christian life is one that is, is begun in grace, but then from there, we, the waters might get muddied in our mind. Like, okay, well, what is, where do we go from there? This it's interesting as as Peter is now giving clear instruction here about what not to do and what to run toward, he still calls it a grace. This growth in grace. And I think exactly what you're saying, Stephanie, is we're we're never we're never to turn away from that idea that this is a grace and the, the grace of the gospel is found in Jesus Christ. And that, that's where he uh, goes exactly after that. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What, do you, what about the word knowledge there? Well, that, that one implies some sort of activity because you can't you know, just absorb the word by osmosis. Yeah. Right? So you've got to be reading and, and hearing and, and being around those who are preaching um, so yes, the grace part is monergistic, but the, the the knowledge part you've got action to do. Yeah, it's really a great verse. I just thinking about it this week, just that that balance there, growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, knowledge isn't something that we yeah it, it went it we think it would be just absolutely wonderful if at the moment of our salvation God would just infuse us with absolutely everything that uh, that we could know absolutely everything that our saint that the whole process of sanctification that would just be in what hey this bring us right to glorification right that's not how that's not how uh, it's that's not the salvation we are uh, new creatures we still struggle with sin we still struggle in various ways we still struggle with the word we we come to the word of god uh, praying that he would give us knowledge and understanding there's still things in there that are difficult to understand we we wrestle through these things we might find uh various times in our uh, christian life where we look back at some doctrine that we've believed and realize oh I think I was actually believing error. You know, we, you know, we're kind of even as individuals constantly reforming. Um, but this is this is P- Peter's uh, request, his command of the church is uh, not to get carried away with the error of the lawless people, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Go back to the beginning then of second of Second Peter, in chapter one, and and just just listen here. First, uh, Second Peter chapter one verses three through fifteen. This I, this kind of idea of the of the Christian life that Peter has. He says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be can, become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Ryan was just preaching on this on Church of the Lawn. This, the church is kind of ineffective, unfruitful. And he's like, what, you know, what a shame for us as Christians if we kind of were in this place we, where our faith became stagnant. We want, we want to be fruitful. We want uh, to be effective. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice as as Peter kind of walks through this, he, um, he, a couple times, he uses the word, the word is granted. God, he has granted you. So again, as we kind of think back to the, uh, this growth in grace, we can never be in this place where we, uh, as Stephanie was saying a moment ago, think, okay, this is my doing. I am the one uh, growing Jeremy. Like, no, the, even, even my Christian growth is something that is founded in the grace of God, in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit dwelling in me. Uh, and yet, you know, Peter doesn't shy away from making it Sound like, you know, hey. Add to it. Add to it, right? Peter doesn't shy away from that language that makes it sound like you're doing something. So let's look into that a little bit. Well, 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 sure, we'll do it. Someone read Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Awesome. Okay, there's there's that tension again. Uh, someone read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so again, we, we have this picture that our salvation is this gracious work given to us by God. Yeah, he says, and hey, I have good works prepared for you to walk in them. There, there's, there's still an activity there. It's obviously nothing that we can boast in. As uh, read Galatians two twenty. This is kind. Of, I think you, you wonder how Peter and Paul can can speak in these terms where it seems like it's all grace and yet there's some effort. How? Why, why aren't those lines blurred? Well, well, Paul says this Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This, this new life, as Paul sees it, is like, Paul, he said, Paul has been crucified. I died with Christ, and now, and yet, Christ now lives in me. Uh, and he, can, he can see uh, this new life that is his in Christ. Um, so the question is, do we bear some responsibility in our Christian growth? Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I thought that was 
A yes or no? No. Oh, no, you can't get away with a yes or no. <laughs> the easy question was answered by Reed earlier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading ahead, too, so I gave my definitive answer without really thinking about it. <laughs> I think that we, we do because like we have there's free will involved, right? Because yeah. otherwise you aren't an individual being. I mean, you'd just be like the angels that had one choice at one time mm. and then drained, right? Which isn't true. So yeah, you have some path that you follow and every minute of every day you have a million decisions to make, but as you make them you are involved in that maturation of yourself. I think yeah, I think for what I've noticed is that we, when we, when you get into theological discussions about is it monergistic, is it synergistic, it's like that's a conversation around like, what is the foundational source of mm-hmm. the ability to even do those things. It's like we then conflate it to the, the entirety of the conversation. It's like the Spirit wills us to do good works, but we we do them. Like so, yeah, the lines are blurry and it's kind of confusing, and I always. It's kind of always kind of a scapegoat answer, but it's like it's it's the finite trying to describe the infinite. Yeah. There are going to be parts of it that we can't fully explain this side of heaven. We may may not be able to put it in very clear terms, but the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, God is the one that ordained us to do these works. The Spirit enables us to do this, <coughs> but we do through the Spirit's power operate with Him. And so, yeah, it's. God is the one that wills it. The Spirit enables us, so it's all—it's completely monergistic in that way. But that we do bear some responsibility to obey the Spirit in that, and to operate in the Spirit, so that we can do the works that God has laid out for us. Yeah. Yep. What about the uh, the the term grace? I—it's been a long time since I've really studied that word again. But the original comes from charis, mm-hmm. you know, gift. And um, I know it has to do with thankfulness and gratefulness. And um, so if this is a gift, then our response is thankfulness. Our response is gratitude. And so out of gratitude, we do these things. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is the, you know, the spirit that enables us, but it is our response of gratitude that we do these things, these good things. Yeah. For, for those of you who know John Moffat, there's a there's you know there's sometimes a certain sermon illustrations that people use that just stick and he used this one sermon illustration once I just thought was was great and it was the the picture of uh, of giving his son Titus a new bike for Christmas and as a father giving a son a gift of this new bike well what the first thing I want to see my son do is like get on it and ride it and enjoy it. He says, but how sad it would be as a father for his son to turn, wow, dad, that's a beautiful bike. Can we can we find a way to like mount it in a, in a case and just kind of like put it over here, just a display case so I can just look at it from time to time? That'd be wonderful. I, 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 the bike's pretty, I really like it. Like, no, the, the whole use is for you to get on it and get it dirty and ride it, you know? Fall down, scrape your knees, do all these things. I want you to use it. I want you to enjoy it. And that's, it's, it's again, again, go into that kind of hyper-Calvinist uh, that we talked about, uh, hyper-Calvinism that we talked about in our last Go Therefore class. It's like, God has given us these, these gifts. What a shame if we decide, oh, well, I'm going to sit back in this corner and just wait, you know, for God to do something. And no, it's like, no, use it, enjoy them. It doesn't change the fact that it's a gift. It doesn't change the fact that it's from God. It doesn't change um, that there's n- nothing for us to, build, to boast in. But there's a use, a, a right use of, a, of, of us to exercise these gifts, these graces that he has given us. Were you about to say something, Damien? Um, no, no, it's not necessary. Um, so Deuteronomy I think a good as we talk about uh, the our growth and grace we use the words like 
uh, use the word growth, use the word nourishment from time to time. Um, it makes me just think of you know physical food and spiritual food. Uh, but Deuteronomy 8, uh, I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. We're familiar with the verse. Christ use it, uh, uses it in his uh, temptation. But Moses writes, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear, uh, wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are, are, are iron and out of whose hills uh, you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The, the Exodus, the wilderness wanderings are just a great picture of the, of the Christian life. Because the first, the first thing for Israel to remember as, as God's giving the commandments uh, to Moses on Sinai, like, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who has already rescued you. You were once slaves, and now you're free. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, and I am bringing you to my plenty, to, the, to my promised land, where you will want for nothing. And in the meantime, it's still grace. You didn't have to, your sandals didn't wear out as you wandered for these 40 years. Your feet did not swell. I, I in my grace, protected you. I gave you, I allowed you to hunger sometimes so that you would rely on me, that you would realize that man does not live simply by physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's this, this picture of uh, kind of seeing our need for, for uh, spiritual nourishment is important because it's very easy for us to know when we're hungry. And we're like, okay, I need some sustenance. I need food. Maybe not so much all the time spiritually. And yet, you know, I think of I think of the psalmists and how many times they're saying that they hunger after righteousness. This this hunger for uh, for for the Lord. And that's that's something that I think we the more um, the more we actually exercise the graces that, that God has given us, the more we will realize, oh, I have this hunger. Sometimes, and, and hopefully this is for you, I think one of the biggest ways we feel that is just with church. Like if you miss church for some reason, um, for any length of time, it's all, at some point you have this, like, I need to, I want to be back. I need to be back among the people of God. I need to hear their voices singing. I need to hear the preaching of the word. I want to take communion with my brothers and sisters. There, we can sometimes feel, uh, feel that hunger in, in those ways. But as we think of growth, um, we, need, we need to see the importance of these ordinary means that we're going to be talking about over the next um, nine weeks really see it almost as much as we see the importance of food, of, you know, maybe more so the importance of physical food in our lives. Like, okay, I know I need physical food. You know, we pay close attention to the price of eggs skyrocketing, those things, because it's, these are the things that we live by. How much more so should we be hungering and thirsting after the things of God 
that he gives us for our spiritual growth that we can enjoy them and just seek them for our nourishment we, we want to feast on these things we want to realize our our need uh, for them so what are what are some what are some ways uh, that God uh, uses to grow us what are what are some just general means of grace well, we're gonna get to the ordinary in a minute and you can list those but what are some Wait, general means that God uses to grow us. Kids. Kids. <laughs> Marriage. Marriage. Suffering. Suffering. <laughs> Suffering. I'm just, I love my kids. I love my, my wife. I think the but the reason we bring this up is like uh, you know it's the hard things right yeah. it's those hard things that God uses to grow us most generally not necessarily all the time I don't I think that can be a danger for us to think that it's only in the hard things there's my wife encourages me in many ways that cause me to have growth it doesn't have to be a rebuke where she says man Jeremy you realize the way you just handled the boys there? Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. So there's positive ways. Time. Time. Explain that one a little bit. It's not immediate, so in all these things, mm -hmm. time moment, I guess. We want things now. Right? I agree with you. It doesn't always have to be difficult, right? But I think it's also like you don't, like, grow unless you're being stretched a little bit. So yeah. It's like, I don't know how you say that in one word, like outside your comfort zone, uncomfortable yeah. situations, right? Because the, uh, I would put obedience in that category. It's something that's difficult, but often after time has passed. A lot of times we're not Yeah. Because many ways right there there are many ways that God uses as means of grace to to grow us and I just thinking about you know this shortlist how much sweeter would it be if I more often remembered these these things in terms of means of grace that these these are these are gifts, as Carissa pointed out. These are gifts that God has given me to grow me as His child. They're not always the ways I like. A lot of times, I think as as the testimony of our own lives, the testimony of the lives of the saints before us in Scripture. A lot of times it's through suffering. A lot of times it's it's definitely not the the plan that we would choose. It's not. In the, on the timeline that we would choose. But these, these are various means that God has, uh, means of grace that God has given uh, for our spiritual growth. Um, this class, this series, is zeroing in on what the church historically has called the ordinary means of grace. We're going to talk about that a little bit, About uh, just kind of unpack that. The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 88, asks this. It says, what are, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? The answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. 
Now many, so we're going to, over the next handful of weeks, we're going to be talking about the Word. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about baptism and communion. And something that kind of by necessity that, that a lot of, if you read kind of any, uh, if you read much about ordinary means of grace, many will include church discipline in there. And that's because it kind of, you know, Ron and I were recently talking about the term discipline. What does the term discipline mean? That, you know, you used it a little, a little while ago, uh, Carissa. Like we go, we go to school to study a discipline so that we can go and get paid to practice that discipline. It's, it's not always, well, it's not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. So in many ways you can see how as we think about the Word of God and we think about specifically the preaching of the Word of God, well, that's, that's sitting under the discipline of the church, hearing the Word of God. Now, there are other layers through that. As uh, you know, we see in Matthew, the various steps of that we think of in church discipline. All of those are not punishment, it, the, the goal in all of those is restoration. But, uh, so anyways, I can't, I, I'm teaching the church discipline one at the very end of the series, so that's kind of on my mind. I'm not going to spoil anything there, um, but that is, a, a lot of times that one is included just because it's kind of of necessity that, that these, these things kind of all kind of fall into that category that this is happening. Um, it's, what, uh, as uh, many have called the marks, uh, marks of the, the marks of, the ch- of a true church, so the preaching of the word, the r- the right use of the sacraments, and church discipline. Like if you don't have those things, you don't really have a have a church. So then, adding to that list, the sin, your own sin, mm. can be a means that God uses. Uh, for your growth, and to uh, to illustrate that, I'm going to go to the London Baptist, yeah, um, section five, uh, paragraph five. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season His own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for other just and holy ends, so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect is by his appointment for his glory and for their good. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of I mean, that... My mind always goes here for like this idea of sin in a believer's life. I think of King David right away. You know, you think a guy who not only you know, murdered someone uh, for the purpose of covering up his adulterous relationship. You can't get a whole lot more worse than that, right? And yet, God, we would be fools to not see that and see that God used even that. Now. That does not mean that God was pleased no. in the least with what David did. Far be it from our holy God to be pleased and approving of sin. But praise the Lord that our Heavenly Father uses even our sinfulness to more and more renew us into His image, to discipline His, to discipline us. You know, it's when he tells us, you know, I, I, I chastise, I discipline those that I love. You know, it's, I wouldn't, if, if I let my boys just run wild and never discipline them, I never taught them anything, I never corrected anything, I'd be a horrible father. They would probably think it's wonderful for, for, uh, wonderful for a time to enjoy ice cream all they wanted and to, to run, run run wild through the streets that probably wouldn't last long they probably die at a young age quite frankly if you simply allowed your kids to absolutely just 
have zero instruction, zero discipline. A loving father disciplines so that we, we can enjoy um, we can enjoy that and you know how else how else do we enjoy that really unless yeah. you know we we've we sin. Um, what do you think of then uh, a couple words that the shorter catechism uses here is outward and ordinary means. What do you, what do you think of when you hear the word ordinary? This can be anything. Universal to everyone. Universal to everyone. Very good. Makes me think of Danny talking about normative. Normative. Mm -hmm. Are there any negative terms that come to mind? Plain. They're plain. Plain. Not exciting. Not exciting. Boring. Plotting. What's that? Plotting. Plotting. Ordinary isn't a word. Yeah, Danny, you, you write for a living to like sell stuff, right? Ordinary is probably not a word you use very often. <laughs> not a word marketers like to use now. Yes. Marketers would probably steer, unless, unless you're drawing like, hey, this is what your life is. It could be this. You know, ordinary is not an exciting word. Ordinary is like, talking about ordinary. Who wants ordinary? But these are the ordinary means of grace that we're going to be talking about. Again, the, the, the word, prayer, sacraments, baptism and communion, and church discipline. Ordinary. I, I appreciate, uh, Phoebe, your answer, that, that universal uh, use of, for, for everyone. It can be a number of things. Um, but we, we need to, there's a joy and an excitement here in embracing the ordinary, in embracing these common normative things that God has given us to uh, grow in, in grace, to, to have our faith strengthened, to, uh, to know more clearly Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the redemption that is ours in Christ. There's, there's joy kind of in the ordinary. Um, this is, I, I cringe. I cringe every once in a while. Well, no, I guess anytime I hear it. Thinking of like graduation speeches and things like that. I cringe a little bit when I hear someone tell kids, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. I want to fly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even more realistic things, not everyone can do. I mean, look at my body. If I wanted to be, a, I'm going to grow up and be an NFL football star. <laughs> Maybe a jockey? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I think I'm too big for a jockey, way too small for a, for a, you know, to be a linebacker or anything. Anything. But it's like, look, I can't, there's certain things I can't do. Whether it's physical, just physical um, challenges <laughs> or money, resources, there's, I'm sorry. You, you can't necessarily do whatever you want to do. Go ahead. Well, I was just drawing a connection in my mind when you were talking about that. Like, if you think of your of marriage or raising kids or, or your work, like, it's the it's ultimately like the ordinary things within those that are w what end up being important. Yeah. And the world would tell you the opposite. Like, they would tell you that your marriage needs to always be extraordinary, mm -hmm. right? Or that your work needs to be, you need to love your work, and it, it, you know, you need to just find what's right for you, you know, and, and don't don't just work hard. It may not be, you may go through a season where you're just doing work to provide, right? Yeah. And it's not, but there's there's God honors that. God honors just hard work to provide for your family, for your wife, and for your kids, right? Not doesn't always have to be. It might be fulfilling. It's great if it is, but it's. I think the world is always telling you the opposite of yeah. these things, like reach for the stars like you're saying and there's there's something beautiful in it I had used the word mundane but there's something beautiful mm -hmm. in just that sort of evenness and consistency in your life versus you know 
than the actual yeah. enemies. Well, interesting, like, in connection to that, we ought to just ask if order was the root word of, or, of ordinary. Sorry. Very mm. I go Google it. And it's, that is. It's like the root Latin word of ordinary is uh, order, which means order. So that, my mind really went to the order is ludus, which is mm -hmm. the order of salvation. So that order implies some system or structure. And so in my mind, it's like the ordinary things, these things that are ordinary imply order, which is good for all of us, because like, you know, we're saying like in our culture, we're wildly individualistic. We can see in our culture, things are in, immensely chaotic. And I think there's something to the idea of the ordinary means of grace, especially in the body of believers in our church, because it literally creates order, mm -hmm. right? And we see the natural order of things that Ryan talked about in the sexuality talk, like there's a natural order to things. God is a God of order, so to speak. Um, there is a, a purpose and a means for all the things that he's done, and there's a system and a structure to it, and these ordinary means of grace sort of play into that. It is yeah. good for us as believers because it's good for all of us as believers to do these ordinary things. Yeah. yeah it's, we, we can get so lost in finding ordinary, boring, and mundane that we lose sight that oftentimes these are the things God uses. And especially when it comes to what we're going to talk about in this series, the ordinary means of grace, you know, you can think of churches going completely sideways because of they're not satisfied with these ordinary means that God has given. You know, think of the, I don't, know, I don't know if it's still in existence, but the church out on the West Coast who, you know, has their... <coughs> Their, their system set up where they can pump in the smoke and glitter that's the glory cloud coming in at a certain point of the service. It's like they want the, you know, we, we as creatures in this, in this place where we're constantly fighting that sin nature to, to worship the creation rather than the creator is we are looking for extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. But it's the, those ordinary things that God calls us. No, listen. You know, it's you know, think of the, uh, the you know, the fire and God didn't answer the fire and the earthquake and the wind. It's like the still, the, the still small voice, like the the ordinary ways that God works. And when we're striving, if we are looking so much for the extraordinary, we oftentimes neglect and dismiss the actual ways that God is using us whether that and that fits in so many of these areas as Reed said um, you know we that we can I mean, there's dissatisfaction with work dissatisfaction with uh, marriage or kids or you know just all all these things because we want more want more is like no these are actually the things God is giving you doesn't mean we don't strive you know to to provide and those sort of things but we find rest and contentment. I'm not going to get into that too much because Ryan's actually going to be talking about that um, in the sermon this morning. But um, for the sake of time, I want to make sure I get so really quickly. Uh, Acts two. This is kind of the go-to passage. For the ordinary, those those things that would fall into this list of ordinary means of grace, as we see um, the Spirit working through Peter's sermon and the church being founded in Jerusalem, um, really, really the church being founded uh, in its infancy there. Acts two forty one through forty two it says, so those who received his word, uh, Peter's word, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So right there, you've got, you've got baptism. You've got the preaching of the word. You've got breaking of bread communion. You've got pray, uh, prayers. Uh, and it's interesting that the word fellowship is in there. And we're going to get into that throughout the series, the importance of these ordinary means of grace mainly being exercised in the context of the church. That is, that is, some of them are specifically, must be really practiced in the context of the church. Um, 
So we'll, we'll get into that. Um, it's important as we get into these, these means of grace that we don't, we don't focus so much on the means that we forget the end. Um, that we remember that the means themselves are not agents of grace or have any inherent, inherent uh, uh, efficiency in them. So the, the Holy Spirit is the agent working through these things. Um, a while back, we had a series on spiritual disciplines. It was maybe a blessing to some people. Unfortunately, whether I heard it wrong or not, I, I responded incorrectly to that. Because what I heard was that, yes, Scripture reading and prayer is well and good, but, and it kind of moved on to, you know, more focused on faith, and that's great. I, I get that, but I, I, I all of a sudden found myself in a place where, like, yeah, you know, scripture reading, that's good here and there. I don't, I don't need to. I, I lost that hunger for it. I lost the hunger for for prayer. And um, yeah, it was more more recently kind of coming around. Like I realized my thinking got all kind of was all backwards there. So an illustration I was thinking of this week, kind of inspired by uh, a, a writer from the 1600s that I was reading. Um, he didn't use this illustration, but just the way he talked about the ordinary means of grace. So I need glasses to see clearly. I am now at that age where I have progressive lenses. So I have now, I can, you know, see clearly out here. I can see Alex. I can see the sign behind Alex. And now I can even look down and see the text on my Bible without doing this all the time. Like, you know, oh, it's wonderful. If I, though, thought, man, these glasses are amazing. These glasses are so amazing, I'm just going to focus on the lenses all the time. <laughs> yeah, these glasses are cool. <laughs> I'm just going to focus on these lenses because that's, that's amazing. Obviously, I've messed up the whole purpose of the glasses. But it would be a wrong response to say, okay, hey, Doc, hey, doc these glasses aren't working for me. <laughs> and like, well, why are, why are you cross-eyed? Like, well, I'm trying to focus on these lenses. Like, well, you're not supposed to focus on the lenses. Oh, well, then forget those. Uh-oh, now I can't see Alex. I can't see the sign behind Alex. I can't see my text very clearly unless I get about right here. That's the wrong response is ditching the means. The right response is using the means rightly. Not focusing on my lenses, but, fo but focusing through the lenses so I can see clearly. It's like, oh, okay, now I, now I, can, I can read and see things properly. The ordinary means of grace are something God has given us to enjoy. But if we, if we focus so much on the means themselves that we forget that they are supposed to draw our gaze to Christ, then we have a problem. But the answer to that problem is not ditching the means that God has given us to see Christ. We can't do that. We need, rather, like, no, when we see Christ, I can have a new joy and hunger for the things he has given me to know him. I can have a joy and hunger for his word. So I don't need to be ashamed to wake up in the morning and read my Bible or to have, I can't say that I have pre-dawn prayers because I am not a morning person, but to pray in the, and let prayer be the first thing on my mind in the morning. That's not always the case. Man, I want that. I want so much 
to be a man who my first thought in the morning is, thank you, God, for another morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Help me to see in this list of things I'm about to go about my day to do my day doing. Help me to see your grace in them. Help me to see the areas where you are growing me. Help me to be a man who prays for these things. A man who seeks your word rather than my own wisdom. Help me to be a man who hungers to be part of your body, the fellowship with believers, to enjoy uh, baptism and communion. Help me to be a man who enjoys sitting under the teaching of your word. Help me to be a man who is not afraid to have my brother or sister come to me and say, Jeremy, I see an issue, a sin issue in your life. Why are you treating so-and-so like this? Or why, why you, you have this, this air of superiority, whatever it might be. Help me be a man who just hungers for you to use the means that you, you have given to, to grow. Help me not to be afraid of growing, but help me to, help me to view these things as very, the very food that I need for my life. Um, that's, you know, real, really, as we look through these uh, means of grace, we, we, have to, we have to remember that they are the things that are pointing us to Christ, so that we can know Christ and our, and our redemption in him. Can we get, see those things more clearly? We can nourish, be nourished and feed on Christ. But that, again, we, we have to understand those things correctly. John 15, 5, picture of the vine and the branches. Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We, we use the, the graphic of um, uh, a vine with fruit uh, for this class. But it's so important for us to remember that we Christian growth does not occur outside of Christ, outside of his Holy Spirit indwelling us. Christian growth happens because we are in the... We, we are... We are the uh, that he is the vine. We're the branches. That we are part of part of the vine. Um, I already read Galatians two twenty. This picture of uh, Paul just seeing his life being one that is it is is in Christ. So the simple doing or receiving of the means that we'll talk about over the next eight weeks do not impart grace to us, but they are the very thing that. We grow in grace because of Christ. It's, it's having our focus uh, correctly aligned. So when we hear the preaching of the word, we are we are looking to Christ. When we receive communion, see someone being baptized, we are looking to Christ. Uh, we are enjoying these things. We are we are praying, looking to Christ. We can enjoy those things even more as as we have our eyes fixed on Him. Um, Last question, just to, to kind of close this off. Um, I think we kind of mentioned this already. But how do, how do you know, maybe just your, your thoughts, how these um, ordinary means, how, how you think they'll, they, um, let me rephrase it, because we're going to look at various aspects, mainly as we look through them, we're going to look at the corporate nature of them, uh, as we enjoy them as a church, but we're also going to look at uh, the corporate rea- reality of enjoying some of them uh, as a family. I say some because uh, communion and bapt- baptism is enjoyed in the church specifically, but as a family and then also specifically as an individual, you know, as we think of prayer and, and reading the word, so just kind of as we've talked about this, what are some of your general thoughts about um, how we can view our ordinary lives, how we can view church 
through the lens of these of these kind of ordinary means of grace? That's kind of a broad, rambling question. I don't know. I think, uh, like going back to just understanding what that word ordinary means and applying it correctly. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we think that, um, not necessarily in our church context, but in others who may have grown up in a church or heard other people describe prayer as this like very and in, in personal, intensely focused time where you're in your special room in your house with candles and it has to be three hours long and you know you have you know you have to do it every single day otherwise you're not living right. It's prayer is just this consistent plotting work that we do in our lives. Prayer can be a it's almost like a I don't know, it, it can be a mindset, having a prayerful mindset. I, it's how do I commune with God in, in the ordinary day to day things. It may not always be kneeling in front of your bread, bread fed pre-dawn. Mm-hmm. It can be that. That's also good. It doesn't always have to be that. You can have a prayerful mindset of, of th- as you're driving to work, thanking God that you have a vehicle to get to work, mm-hmm. that you have work to do, that you have a family. Like, it's just, just the ordinary nature of these things. They don't have to be these big experiences. They can be just these normal, ordinary things in our lives that it's just communing with God in a, in a very normal Day-to-day way. Yeah. Nothing wrong with sitting down and reading your Bible for hours on end, but it could also just be being mindful of I have time right now. Maybe mm-hmm. I should just maybe I should just spend time with God in the Word right now. Yeah. There's, there's no. I think it should be consistent, but it doesn't have to be. We just we just get in our minds that it has to be this really meaningful experiential thing, and in reality. It's, Going back to that word of ordinary, it's it's consistent, it's plotting, it's doing it over and over again because we know it's good for us. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Brennan, and I had an opportunity a few weekends ago to go out for a conference, a very quick conference. And the very first thing as they opened the conference that they said is that the, the purpose of their ministry was not to be the church. They realized that they... They are not the local church, and they did not want to usurp that. They said, the last thing we want you to do is come to a conference and you know, try to, like, looking for this mountaintop experience. They say, we want you just to be fed and encouraged to go back to your church and enjoy the good, right use of the ordinary means in your local body. This, they were saying, we, this... We, we, we are the church, but we are not your local church where, that God has ordained for you to enjoy these, these gifts of his. So and we, have, we can, especially as a kid, going to like summer camp and stuff, a Christian summer camp, I remember so much. I was like living for that you know, mountaintop experience. Oh, each summer I come, I come back home, you know, a better Christian than I've ever been before because I had this mountaintop experience. I totally missed how much I could be enjoying and growing in in these ordinary ways that God has given me. And Jeremy, just real quick, when you when you given that analogy about your glasses, it made me think of this. I just want to read this. It's a short quote, but from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Maybe think of this. Uh, it says the instrument through which you see God is your whole self, and if a man's self is not kept clean and bright. This glimpse of God will be blurred like the moon seen through a dirty telescope. That's why horrible nations have horrible religions. They've been looking at God through a dirty lens. God can show himself as he really is only to real men, and that means not simply to men who are individually good, but to men who are united together in a body, loving one another, helping one another, showing him to one another, for that's what God meant humanity to be like, like players in one band or organs in one body. This is great. Well, I hope you guys uh, enjoy the series. I think next Sunday is Jeremy Moretz opening the first um, uh, the first of three classes on the Word of God, and um, I, I'm looking forward to the, the series. Like I, I don't teach until the very end with church discipline, so I'm looking forward to sitting under the the teaching of some of the men in this room and and the the others who are leading. It'll be, it'll be a good time. So let me pray and we can uh, get over to church. 
Father, uh, thank you for uh, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that in it uh, we can see uh, that uh, you have many times worked in extraordinary ways, but you consistently show how you also work in the ordinary ways. Um, help us as your people to know and have confidence that you are working not just in extraordinary ways but even in the ordinary ways of our lives and these uh, these ways that we can sometimes uh, neglect that you have given us uh, you've given us gifts to enjoy your uh, just in, in, enjoy you to know you uh, to uh, just hunger and thirst for you and your righteousness. Father, I pray as we go, um, continue to go through this series, that you would help us uh, as we look at the each uh, of these ordinary means of grace, that you would help us not to be so enamored with the means that we forget the end, that we forget uh, that they are to draw us to Christ, that these are the, the gifts you have given us to more fully enjoy Christ. So help us to um, keep our, our minds, our eyes fixed on him. Help us to, to glorify you and enjoy you. I pray as we go to the service this morning that uh, you would just encourage us as we enjoy um, singing uh, with one another, as we enjoy the hearing the preaching of your word from Ryan this morning, as we enjoy taking communion with one another, praying with one another. Just help us, Father, to, to again, enjoy, uh, glorify you and enjoy you through these things. Strengthen us, Father. Uh, help us to be uh, people who, again, hunger and thirst for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.